up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. This podcast will keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Drew Freeman and Alex Sullivan. Thanks, Ray. This is the Ray Wenderlich podcast. Welcome to episode nine for season 10. This episode was recorded on Saturday, the 9th of June, 2020, for release on the 17th. This episode is sponsored by a strong need for Drew to clean up his office desk. I'm Alex Sullivan, here with my coffee-rific co-host, Drew Freeman. (laughs) I don't even need to drink coffee. I'm a tea drinker myself. Thanks, Alex. Our guest for this episode is Brian Schick. Brian lives in Portland, Oregon, and is a staff iOS engineer at Intuit. He has mastered technologies ranging from deep data backend tools to front-end UI and UX best practices, and is currently happily obsessed with all things Swift. On this episode, Brian kicks us into high efficiency with Fastlane. Later, Drew will talk about unit tests and why they are so helpful. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's really great to be here. Looking forward to it. I'm really glad you could join us. So the $64 million question that we've asked so many times this this season, how are you doing with shelter and, and how is things going in the state? It's uh, It's been quite an experience. I unfortunately lost someone quite close to me. Um, and I will say I've, you know, really come to appreciate friends, family, and community, and, you know, just the just support they've given. I'm very sorry. Uh, thank you. Um, and um, otherwise, um, gratefully living in a good place. Portland's, Portland's a great place to be, and, and, and too, it's been a great place to work through this. So um, kind of getting through it, and again, just, you know, really appreciate being part of great communities, you know, like Ray Wenderlich. Now, we have to admit... It's a great place to live, but for those watching on the YouTube version, Brian's not actually at his home. He's one of the first guests that we have <laughs> taking advantage of the Zoom virtual background. What is that the background for? This is, uh, it was, I downloaded this from Pixar Disney and it's from Incredibles 2. <laughs> okay. oh. I'm actually in a tiny shoebox, so this illusion is <laughs> That's great. It's just, it's just a wonderful apartment. <laughs> Maybe next season we'll have to all start having these these beautiful backgrounds of just like the ocean waves and everything else. I like I that. Think, yeah. Isn't that one of the Zoom regular uh, the backgrounds is the, the oh, ocean yeah. waves? That's in there. But so when you're not sheltering at home, what are some of the things you do that are not code code related? <laughs> well, let's see. Um, I have I have a long love affair with growing exotic bamboos, and that's kind of just an odd obsession I've had for years and years. So, I um, previous to being in Portland, I was fortunate to have a large amount of land, so I did some real damage with that. But even in my small little uh, <laughs> urban property in Portland, I brought a surprising number of bamboos along, and they're all getting getting used to being uh, citizens of Portland these days. Um, Otherwise, I'm probably a little predictable. I love uh, craft coffee, craft IPAs, uh, particularly particularly uh, the Pacific Northwest type. And I'm uh, just a hopeless sushi addict. So oh yeah. That- have you have you made it to the WWDC sushi outing? No, in large parts, I have, have yet to actually win the WWDC lottery. Oh. Well, you can always just go down for uh, for the uh, well. What, what is it? Altcon just is the, crash the party. Well, no, no. There's yeah. there's there's Altcon typically when we're not having WWDC virtual, but there's right. Altcon, which is for those people who didn't win the lottery, 
They can go to sessions as well, and it's right next door to WWDC. So you basically get to have the networking and meet with people and go to some of the uh, some of the outside parties. Yeah, I, 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 I should I should have thought of that. So I have had the privilege of being at AltConf, and I think it's a fantastic conference. Then. And God, you can't beat the value for the money, certainly. No, no, it's really unbelievable for a conference. And the last... The last note I, I have is to ask you about the two bestest dogs. Well, the two bestest dogs in the world happen to both be mine. Who to thunk? Um, <laughs> they're both small little guys. I, uh, one, one's name is Laika, and she's about seven. She's about a 15-pound terrier mix. And then the other's name is Yogi, and he's a Skipperkey Chihuahua mix, so jet black and about as full of mischief as a 12-pound dog can be. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Sorry, you said um a uh, uh, something Chihuahua. What was uh, that? Skipper that? So Skipper, yeah, never Skipper heard of that. Is first of all, it's a horrible American uh, pronunciation of what should be, I believe, Shaperka, which is a uh, bell oh, skipper for a little skipper. And so they oh, were they're Spitzbreeds. Uh, so like think of a husky dyed jet black and then stuck in a Xerox machine about twelve percent. <laughs> and energy is constant. So the smaller you go, the more energy. Uh, so they're loyal, incredibly energetic, um, smart as a whip, like way smarter than me. They should be giving the talk. <laughs> here. Well, while we're on it, let's let's talk Fastlane then. So um, I, I've had the the privilege of working with Fastlane, but for those who are not familiar, let's take the 20,000 foot view and s explain what is Fastlane. From a high level, Fastlane is a cross-platform automation tool um, that is designed to help both iOS and Android developers um, automate and streamline pretty much the entire workflow from when you first get the inkling of an idea of creating that next great app to getting all the way through approval uh, and on the App Store. And it has um, an incredible number of extremely helpful tools um, that we'll talk about, I'm sure, for getting you through every step along the way. And for a while, uh, if I remember correctly, Fastlane was where you could basically turn to when you were automating your process for some of the steps along the way that were until maybe recently refined. That, that it did some of the heavy lifting. Absolutely. Um, so there are a lot of places, you know, when, when you're working with the App Store where, you know, traditionally, especially, there's been an awful lot of kind of go to Apple, go to the, an Apple website, point, click, wait, maybe wait quite a while, do some uploads, wait a lot longer, fill in a bunch of fields, hope everything gets accepted. You know, a lot of that stuff. And the Fastlane team led by Fritz Klaus came along and said, Hey, let's do this better and let's make this all be automated so that you don't have to constantly constantly sit there and point and click and do stuff. And it added tons of refinement and made a lot of things that were kind of hit and miss before something you could handle predictably ahead of time. So what are the, some of the stages along the way that Fastlane takes care of? It, it starts at the very beginning. When you're creating a new project, there's a Fastlane tool called Produce that will simply make sure that your app is correctly registered with the App Store. Now, that's not mm. a big deal, but right off the bat, you can see Fastlane's philosophy that rather than having to go to a website and kind of mess around and enter stuff haphazardly, you can simply enter it in, in a quick little um, piece of code and then run that and have, have an app do all that submission for you. Um, next, 
it there it offers a few different tools depending on the approach you want to take to help you with managing the kind of zoo of code signed certificates and other assets that are enabled to you know make sure your app is fully code signed through the development and deployment processes code signing used to be an absolute true nightmare it it, 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 yes, it, it used because to be. you had to uh <laughs> Oh no, it's 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 definitely better than than it was at one time where you had to uh, get a signing certificate or a CSR from your machine and upload that, and then get permission to have a cert for your development and a cert for this and a cert for the other thing and then thirty more. But it, Fastlane still really seems to to manage those things much better. It absolutely does. Obviously, when Apple introduced automatic code signing, that was a huge step forward, but there are so many cases where you're forced to go beyond what Apple provides automatically. For example, if you're working in enterprise where automated um, continuous integration tools or build tools won't allow you to have automatic code signing on, it would be right back to that evil former reality without something like Fastlane. Um, additionally, if you work on a team, for example, and you maybe have you know a handful or a dozen people working with you, starting to manage each and every individual's uh, certificates um, and other code signing assets, devices, all that can just become a complete zoo. Um, Fastlane has tools that can automate that and reduce it so you have a single code signing asset that stands for the whole team. So you just do away with like 98% of that complexity and you know potential for things to go boink right when you don't need them to. <laughs> All right. So after the the code signing, does it find do, does Fastlane help you with where you're going to store these these certs? Um, I guess we, this is probably a good time to dive into it. Fastlane offers you two approaches. First of all, the oldest tools Fastlane offered were a pair of tools, one called Cert and one called Sci. And I think Sai was Sai uh, was basically named after the groans and sighs of iOS developers uh, worldwide. <laughs> I was about to ask if it was S I G H or P S I. It's most decidedly S I G H. Um, and so those tools are great, but they they recreate the the every developer has his or her own code signing assets um, approach. So if you want to take it all up a notch, Fastlane then offers a much newer tool called Match. And what Match does is exactly as you were suggesting, it allows you to create a, a single team-based set of credentials and so code signing um, assets. And those go into uh, a private Git repo and they're encrypted and you do all the good stuff you would to make sure that those that, that that repo can't get hacked because you're putting a lot of trust in that repo. But in return for that, what you basically get is, A, your assets are all stored in a repo of your choice, so they're no longer just localized the way they traditionally are. And then far more importantly, each person on the code, I'm sorry, on your team, simply uses that single set of resources and you have a single point for entering all the iOS devices you want to associate with the project, et cetera. So you suddenly are reducing your headaches on that level by something like 95%. Um, and I, I really can't say enough about what a great piece of, of engineering and I guess I'd say kind of meta-engineering this is. Like the Fastlane team could have stopped and said, you know what, certain sci are, are both great and they're kind of kicking it if you use this. It's so much better than doing it the old manual way. And that would be true, but they went that extra step and said, but we can make it so much better. 
And I think that's really to their credit. So it, it's been a, a while since I've messed around with, with all the certificate stuff that you have to do with iOS development, but I have some fairly vivid memories of team members doing things like um, revoking some, like a certain number of the certs and, and then having a lot of headache with that. Does this, does this tool like help manage that side of things? It, it absolutely does. Um, so first of all, if you're using Match, really the need to do exactly that sort of thing is, is almost eliminated. But additionally, whether you're using the pair, uh, the, the team of certain side, or you're using Match, um, you both, both ways you have excellent control that give you the ability to like, say, if you want to just flush all your certificates and create new code signing assets, that becomes just a single step. Um, one thing I haven't mentioned, by the way, is Fastlane um, is interesting because it's written in Ruby. And I think, although that can be a little bit scary for iOS or Android developers, um, really that's, that's, I found the, the Ruby part of it not to be too intimidating. And the flip side is once you get used to what might feel initially like strange syntax, um, there's so much power you get and flexibility in terms of what you can do with Fastlane because of that. But one of the nice things about that is it means that A, pretty much anything you do with Fastlane, you can do just directly in your terminal, kind of ad hoc. So like if you wanted to say flush your certificates, you know, revoke them and then just create a fresh new set, you could just hop into your terminal, navigate to your product project directory, and just do a quick flush and then a, a quick um, a quick uh, refresh, and you'd have a full new set of certificates. And then when you're ready, you basically can then create a series of what are called lanes, hence the lane part of Fastlane. And what lanes are basically is they're essentially, you can think of them as macros, or, or essentially they're Ruby functions or methods. And so you basically can string together any number of actions, and then that meta set of actions can be invoked by the terminal. And better yet, just as we can in Swift or in, in Kotlin, we can work compositionally. So I can start creating um, lanes for each kind of phase of my project, and I can then, can then compositionally invoke them by a master lane. And so I've got great low-level granular control, um, even better top-level control, and my top-level lanes read really cleanly semantically because I'm not you know, doing tons of atomic stuff there. Um, it's a really nice system they've come up with. Can you give me an idea of a more concrete example of uh, using lanes? Lanes are just Ruby methods that, that are created in a special file called a fast file. And a fast file is nothing more than a kind of a blessed by convention uh, Ruby file that sits at the root of your project directory. And once you've initialized Fastlane for your project, and you have it that basically sets up Fastfile and a few other assets that you need, then essentially... You're going to, Fastlane allows you to skin what you're doing, first of all, by platform and then some other things. So I would have like, say, okay, for all for all the actions I'm doing that are related to iOS, here's my set of lanes. And each lane has a name. And so I'll just say lane, perhaps uh, check certificates. And the name is arbitrary. It's whatever I want. As long as it's not a protected word, I'm free to say what I want. I can pass in parameters if I want to make my lane be more useful and more flexible just as a function. And then within the lane, I'm simply putting a combination of raw fast lane commands as well as configuration options. Um, and then secondarily calling other lanes if I wish to. So at the end of the day, what that means is I go back to my terminal and now I can now just, I can just say fast lane and then type the name of my lane. And if my lane doesn't take parameters, just that simply I can say fast lane checkout and bam, 
a very complex workflow can happen with nothing more than that simple invocation. Um, and we can get much more complex, much more granular from there. You, you could have, you know, uh, I can ask for user input. I can have modals that I throw up on, in my terminal window if I need that kind of thing. But 98% of the time, it's just as simple as just saying Fastlane and my lane name and the good stuff happens. And there's just so much of this that just keeps growing because uh, every time we discuss this, another command pops out. We, we've talked about flush and, and refresh, and then you said checkout. So I'm assuming the Fastlane has control over Git. It, it's, it's, I was, it's funny you said that. I was thinking of Git just as you were going through that list because um, I'm in the interesting situation now where my new team at Intuit works on a framework rather than an app. And as, as we talk more about Fastlane, you'll see that Everyone who's getting into Fastlane gets excited about the way it helps you if you're developing an app and want to get it through um, App Store approval. That's great. But we're in a situation in my day job where none of that applies to us. We don't push to the App Store. We aren't going through that kind of approval where we don't have um, a front-end product because we're working on a shared back-end framework. In spite of that, Fastlane's proving incredibly useful because of the things you're talking about. So. Simply the ability to use Fastlane to drive Git in and of itself would be worth the price of admission in my book. Um, Fastlane gives you incredibly deep and granular control of what you can do with Git. Uh, you can do everything from like bumping versions in your Xcode project automatically every time you do a new release to creating special commit messages, to adding tags, to making sure you're on the right branch and that you've uh, pulled before you try to uh, say push anything really any single thing you could think of that you'd want to do with Git is either supported by a special Git command built into Fastlane or can be trivially uh, set up through a custom shell script that you could do. Um, and again, the difference between doing that with a simple Fastlane do my Git action versus all this stuff atomically is just fantastic. Is there also a, a Fastlane command to, to take over things like Xcode build? Yes. Um, under the hood, uh, Fastlane uh, uses Xcode build, um, along with several other help helper tools to do a great part of what it does for you, um, especially during like, you know, your testing, um, your, your distribution, your release phases of the project. So you mentioned uh, a lane being built up of, of lots of actions, right? And, and yes. I think we talked through some of those actions, like um, some of the cert oriented ones and, and some Git elements. I'm kind of interested in in like what what is the breadth of actions that Fastlane gives you? Like, do they? It sounds like it's very like they give you a very broad feature set of things that you can touch in on. Is there any like theme combining the general actions that they try to give you, or or are they really just trying to like cover everything under the sun? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, it's it's um, let, let's run through it. So first of all. Um, I haven't explicitly mentioned, although I think it's probably clear by context, that Fastlane is equally applicable um, whether you're an iOS or an Android developer. Um, there are differences because there are differences in the platforms, but generally um, the great news is you can use this equally on both sides. So in both, um, in both Android and iOS, Fastlane kind of out of the box, I'd say probably what you'll focus on if you're a typical indie developer, um, is likely working on, on 
putting it to use, helping you get your app through everything you have to do to get it approved. So it's going to help you with your, with your initial um, get taking care of your certs or your devices and your code signing assets. Then it's going to give you tools as you're going through your builds um, so that you can, you basically, you can build things much more consistently. Um, that's useful if you're if a single developer. It's fantastic if you're working on a team, even with just a handful of people, because suddenly you can guarantee that every person is constantly doing the same set of steps every time. Um, Next, Fastlane has fantastic tools to help you in your way to distribute your code, uh, whether you're going to be doing that through test flight or through a third party. It removes... I think every aspect that I can think of of what you would typically have to do manually, including signing up third-party people, third you know individuals who would be interested in testing your app, it can just automate all parts of that. And again, it can handle things like making sure that you, you know automating uh, bumping your build versions, automated automating your Git commits, automating say automated Slack messages to go out to everyone on your team or all oh, your. Oh, interesting. Um, you can tie into Slack. Yeah, yeah, it can, and and so. I'll, I'll talk more about that in just a second, but we can keep on going through. Like, as you're getting ready to submit your app for, for approval, um, Fastlane has several different micro tools that will, for example, make sure it, on, on the iOS side of things, we all know how, um, shall we say, careful Apple can be about making sure we don't use buzzwords or violate what might um, seem like minuscule uh, requirements at times. Mm-hmm. You know, we and I think you know we, we all times great about it, and we all times really appreciate that level of care Apple takes. But the bottom line is, Fastlane takes all the guesswork out of that. So it has a tool that will go through; it internalizes all of Apple's stated requirements, and will sim- simply scan your project for any naughty words, for any mentions, oh, uh, platforms wow. you shouldn't, for any boilerplate code you've left in that that Apple might flag, and so on. Um, and then, for example, it will automate your your archive builds in the submission process. So, what is typically like a long wait, and then a manual submission just becomes, you know, a click of the button. I actually missed a few. For example, like think about all the time you spend wanting to generate screenshots, like you know, for the App Store. Mm-hmm. Um, we can all do it, and we can all like then take those screenshots and put them into you know careful little frames, so you know they they look better. But Fastlane can do all that automatically, and it can do it across all devices you want to support and across all languages. Oh, wow. Supports. So the amount of time that one feature uh, can save is just unthinkable, especially when you start multiplying it out over all the iterations. So if I have a, a, a tool that generates documentation, does it handle that as well, or do I need to? Yes, that's a fantastic question. <laughs> Sorry if I got you off. Um, but yes, in fact, that points to, so, so what I was just talking about previously is kind of like the, the first thing you'll see if you're putting Fastlane to use most likely, you know, is everything focused on you getting your app all the way to point of approval and selling it. But then Fastlane goes a lot further. And that's the part that I'm really appreciating in, in you know, my new position where none of the main stuff applies to me. And mm-hmm. yet Fastlane is still so useful. So for example, as you just suggested, if I want to document my project, Fastlane has a plugin architecture, and it's actually multi-tiered. So you can write your own extensions, or you can use plugins that are written by other people, or you can write your own plugins. And there's a very rich community of plugins that exist. So if you go to the Fastlane and simply look up available plugins, you'll find hundreds and hundreds of plugins for 
it's, it's hard to find in some ways things that aren't covered by this. So for example, I've mentioned Slack notifications before, and you know, it's just fantastic when you're doing a build to be able to like, you know, have an automatic Slack notification that captures everything you want. Um, including like the current build number, any release notes you have, just push that to your Slack channel automatically. Um, you know, uh, we talked about Git, you mentioned documentation. So Fastlane has a plugin that works with a tool called Jazzy, okay. um, which is a documentation tool that works with Objective-C. I think their byline is soulful documentation for <laughs> Objective-C and Swift. It's put out by the folks at Realm. And it's, it's great. It offers you like, um, you can, you, you can put out documents in Apple style or offers like, I think three others out of the box and you can roll up your own CSS too. It's deeply customizable and it's kind of fantastic. Uh, same thing with linting. If you want to lint your project and have full control over the linting rules, and that, that's kind of a can of worms, right? But cause linters, you know, Linters have to be tuned or else they become enemies rather than friends. Um, but anyway, like you, you can invoke linting. And all of these things, you can say, not only am I invoking as part of my workflow, but let's say if I want to be a draconian emperor of my team and say, not only are we going to lint, but I'm going to say everything has to pass linting or we're not going to proceed to, to go and we're not going to release and we're not going to do anything else. That's like one, one little um, switch in a config file. And now you, can, you have the choice of saying, if we if my project doesn't meet all the linting rules, then my my uh, lane stops right there, and I go back and fix it before we go on. Can the lane check code coverage? You know, I don't know that answer offhand. I'm going to. I would bet that it, that you somebody has a tool for it. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> I bet that kind of there, there's a there's a probably a lane for that to paraphrase the uh, the app sort of <laughs> thing. But but um, I, I would be surprised if not. But I don't know the answer. So my understanding was that this was a standalone, but then Google bought it out? Um, almost. Um, so as it turns out, Fastlane was the brainchild of a developer by the name of Fritz Krauss. And Fastlane, um, I, I believe, existed for roughly three years before Fritz um, joined Google. And so I, I, to my knowledge, Fastlane itself remains independent, and it has a very um, active and diverse community of, of uh, Rubyists who maintain its code base. And I had the privilege of getting to know some of them as I was uh, working on our course, uh, our video course for Ray Wunderlich, um, and got to see how hard they work on all this. But at any rate, Fritz is with Google, but the Fastlane itself remains independent and um, you know, has continued to, to have really rich and constantly evolving support for both iOS and Android since he's joined. So is it open source or is it still a, is it closed source? Um, Fastlane is fully open source and you can see all the code for, for, every, um, for every action on, you know, the, through the standard GitHub um, repos. Let, let me ask you one of my favorite questions and that is, uh, as I refer to myself as, as a, a Santa code clause here, where do you think it would be best to go? What is missing? What what would you add if you had the ability to to sort of pull the strings on the open source community? Sure. Um, if I were king of the forest, um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the the hard thing for both iOS developers um, and the thing that probably scares most people off is simply the fact that the code base is written in Ruby. Mm. Um, and 
to be noted, if you go to the Fastlane site and you're a Swift developer, you might get really excited to see there's a there's a what's called a beta branch in Swift. And you look at that, and you think, oh, great, the Swift support is coming. Well, it turns out that um, when, when I when I uh, talked to Fritz as I was writing my course, he let me know actually no, that's actually kind of an orphan branch. And yes, it's reasonably functional, but we we just don't feel that that Fastlane is really going to port to Ruby. So instead, what they did is they kind of did some bridging stuff, um, so that the backend code was remaining in Ruby, and then you could include it and then write some write your your lane stuff in Swift if you wanted to. But they're not really going there. So to, to, to finally answer your question, <laughs> I think, you know, if, if I could, I would, I would love to um, harness uh, the open source world and say, let's do a fully Swift native and a fully Kotlin native version of this. Um, that would provide, you know, some yet more goodness. Um, mm-hmm. And there are, in fact, some um, initiatives out there. There's a thing called Autobahn that you can look up on GitHub that explicitly calls out its complete debt to Fastlane. And it's, you know, they're, they're working on attempting to be exactly that in the Swift world. But it seems pretty clear looking at it that, frankly, it's just an awful lot of work to get even to the basic baseline that Fastlane mm-hmm. is set up, let alone to emulate its rich, you know, ecosystem of plugins and so on. It does, uh, just going back to some of the other functionality that's probably a tool that we don't uh, know about or maybe somebody's third-hand tool, is there a... a Library management, let's say Carthage, CocoaPods, SPM, is there something that'll actually manage that and call those features off? I don't know of anything explicit, um, but I, I, I maybe I uh, let, let me see if I if we can get close to what you're asking. Um, so when you use Fastlane on a project, and let's say it's a team project, you know exactly the scenario you're talking about, the Fastlane assets are added to the to the root of the project typically. So you'll you'll do a fastlane init command and it will give you a menu of options and you can either manually configure everything or choose from a quick set of presets to get up and running. Mm-hmm. And once you've done that, the fastlane assets are part of that environment. So what you what what you what you get out of the box is is that everyone in the team therefore who uses the repo will get up to date instances of your fast lane lanes and and assets so that gets us part way there i guess the next question is to say well what about if we like as you say if we need to run cocoa pods or you know carthage update or something equivalent with swift package manager I don't know of a great way offhand to have Fastlane, like say, force someone to install CocoaPods. But what we can certainly do is to have a lane that would run, say, a CocoaPods or Carthage command as part of it. So you could do that and have that be run like upstream from any of your other lanes. So I, I, probably the answer is more yes than I initially suggested, given that. Hmm. It'd be interesting to see if you could actually have it check the system and say, okay, he hasn't actually installed Carthage yet. Go, go pull that down, pull the tools down that are necessary, et cetera. But it just seems like it really is an end to end solution um, to help you put these projects together. I think that's exactly right. Um, the, the, the more I've had the privilege of working with Fastlane, the more I've come to appreciate just how extensible and flexible it is. I mean, again, the fact that it could, it could adapt so effortlessly 
to like my current situation where I, I'm not using any part of its of its usual claim to fame and yet still find it so useful. Um, like another case in point, um, in, in at Intuit, as in so many uh, places, we we rely on larger tools um, such as Jenkins, for example, mm-hmm. to do to do builds, and that's you know important cross team Kotlin, Android website, you know all over the place. That's great, and it answers a lot of high-level questions, but something like Jenkins isn't usually your best friend if you're a Kotlin or, or a Swift developer. So Fastlane can essentially be the glue that then sits between um, something like Jenkins and your development space. And so you can have all the goodness you're used to if, from working in a smaller environment and still integrate without apologies into these higher-level enterprise tools and Fastlane has explicit um, integration um, guides for pretty much all the major CI platforms, um, which I think is just fantastic. So instead of trying to force Jenkins oh, to cool. do an Xcode build, you basically say, uh, Jenkins, just go run this Fastlane lane. It all gets done, and then Jenkins knows what's to look for when it's done and doesn't have to worry about the actual platform mess. Exactly right. Um, and again, that goes for things like, um, I didn't, I forgot to mention so far that Fastlane is easily the best way I know of to do both unit and UI testing. Um, it takes all the goodness that comes with Xcode, for example, if you're on the Swift side of things, and it lets you um, run all those tests in an automated environment and gives you nice kind of roll-up tools that you can use to view the results. They're kind of a value add to what you get out of the box with Xcode. And once again, the nice thing is if you're using Fastlane as your tool for like doing builds and releases, you can guarantee that all your tests pass or nothing else will proceed. And I think that alone is a, kind of worth the cost of mission. Once again, if, you know, if you've got a team with a few people and you're worried, well, what could happen if someone's tired and, and um, you know, at 2 a.m. is bleary eyed, goes to push something, forgets to run unit tests. That won't happen with Fastlane. And heaven knows I have enough to say about unit tests shortly. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, so let's say I'm sold on Fastlane. I, it, it sounds fantastic and I want to use it. How much programming should I expect to do? Like how much actual Ruby code should I expect to write? Is it like start doing 101 Ruby cones and stuff? Or, or can I... <laughs> Can I like hobble together enough that I don't need to, to write a code? <laughs> That's a great question. That was the thing that scared me off when I when I when I uh, was was creating the um, the video course um, because I I'm about as far from a polished Rubyist as I think anyone who has the audacity to call themselves a coder uh, ought to be. Um, me 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 I, me. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I can do a modern amount of damage in Ruby, but it will not be elegant, and I will honestly not necessarily know the best ways. So, as I mentioned in my course, if I can do this and can write custom lanes comfortably, so can you. Uh, <laughs> and you know, the nice thing is, um, as I got into this, I actually found fast lane lanes to be a nice way to begin learning about some of the deeper aspects of Ruby. And I found that although the syntax looked odd to me coming from Swift and other kind of C style languages before that, that in fact, um, I, it was it was quite simple by example to see, oh, if I want to write a lane that takes parameters and do conditional branching off of this, yep, it's different syntax, but I can just learn by example. And then I can also just fall back on you know the Ruby community if I need to quickly get help with something. And um, I found it really quite straightforward to create surprisingly powerful lanes. Because coding um, is one part need and one part copying somebody else's code. 
<laughs> yeah, in my case, I might even tilt that more towards the <laughs> Yeah. So that's a lot of really interesting information about Fastlane. It sounds like a wonderful tool, and I'm excited to give it a shot. Um, Drew, you mentioned earlier that you were having some fun escapades in unit test land, and I would love to hear about that. Well, I got to give a, a talk on unit testing recently, and it was uh, for a group of people who do programming but didn't necessarily do a lot of unit testing, and there wasn't a lot of understanding about what unit testing got you or why you did it. And I think a lot of newer programmers don't tend to understand where the benefits or why we would have unit testing in place or when somebody says well for every line of code i want 10 lines of unit test which is a little high there but nonetheless so i i broke it down into what i really consider to be three main things that people tend to forget about and that is the operative word right off the bat is testability when you're working on a program you tend to be either too close or too far from the problem and if you're working in a sort of agile story formed world you look at the larger problem with its completion requirements and the completion requirements are very far from the actual question does your function do what your function supposed to do and the example i came up with for this is if you think of the answer of the math problem of 16 over 64 we all know the answer to that is one fourth and we can make a program that says give me 16 64ths and I'll write one-fourth. The problem is that if in our program we're getting that answer by crossing off the sixes, <laughs> yes, we're getting the right answer. We have said that 16 over 64, erase the sixes, is one over four. Right answer, wrong methodology, and any other number you throw in this program is going to fail. So we have gotten the correct answer, but we have not necessarily tested it. And we did a, a discussion on test-driven uh, development, which is pretty much doing the unit tests before we even write the code. But it is essential to understand that each function may have several different things. And the way that we know that is the second thing, which is code coverage. For me, code coverage is essential because hopefully we are not getting paid as engineers by the number of lines we write. Sometimes it feels that way, and sometimes we do that to <laughs> assure ourselves job security. But the truth of the matter is, code coverage helps us see whether or not we have written unnecessary code, or whether or not we are actually calling the code we are writing. The unit test works through each of our functions. So as by writing through each function, the unit test actually says, well, did he run through this code? And when I was doing a demonstration of this, I was using a simple truncate function. And the truncate function, as it turns out, had a um, had an overflow issue, which we hadn't actually thought about. I just threw some random examples at the truncate function, and the truncate function went, uh-oh. So the code cover, and the reason I even threw the big numbers at it was there was a uh, a guard that we weren't calling. So I figured, well, I'll see if I can fire off that guard to make sure that I cover all the code in that function. And that's how I accidentally discovered the problem in the code. Of course, while I'm doing the lecture, I didn't even realize that there was a problem in the code. So I sat there feeling very proud of myself, patted myself on the back going, aha, look, <laughs> unit tests, necessary code coverage and can actually find problems in your code. 
I think I actually heard one of the engineers who was listening to this thing have this moment of, oh, dear, that like they grokked right then and there. Oh, my God, I see the value and the terror behind unit testing. (laughs) But the other type of testability that I think is essential that unit test gives us is regression. Because with regression, we say when we run those unit tests the first time and we've actually tested all the possibilities of a function, we know, okay, this function is doing what this code is supposed to do. And the tests test all the different situations, the good situations, the bad situations, and it works. Well, inevitably, we go and we change the code, or as we like to call it, churn. Well, what happens is that when we churn the code, something may break in the unit tests. Now, that means that either something in the unit test is no longer working correctly and we need to update the test, or something in the code is not working correctly and we really should fix the code if the code is not working correctly. (laughs) So I, I realize, you know, there are these three little things here that, you know, if you if you can make sure that you're actually testing the functionality rather than the end product, if you're getting your code coverage and you're making sure that by repeating these unit tests, you get that uh, sense of regression, the unit test really begins to sort of sell itself. There's so many times where I write code and I know it works. There's no doubt. And I don't even, um, so my current copy, we have our unit tests are run in CI. Why, why bother? Why do the unit <laughs> tests? <laughs> And so uh, there's so many times where I write some code and I say, oh, my God, I like it's not even worth it. I'm not going to run it locally because I don't want to spend the, you know, unfortunate six minutes or whatever that it takes to do this in Android land. So I push it up and and, and say, yeah, of course, it, it passes. And then lo and behold, I come back 10 minutes later, whenever CI finishes and discover that I actually broke a bunch of things with my code that certainly couldn't break anything for sure. So that is those times where I'm where I really fully internalize how important testing is. Do you have any recommendations about how to deal with kind of smaller functions in your code? Like the, I'm thinking of the case where you're doing an app that does a bunch of calculations and inside, say, a controller, you've got maybe some private methods that are doing some stuff that you don't want to call from the outside. So you make them private and that's all great. And you've got a, you've got a, you know, a good, clean API that's doing what you want. But then you get you, you turn to the issue of testing and you realize that you don't have direct access to those methods and you want you want to be able to like test them precisely to make sure they don't break later. So the so the at testable uh, import for Xcode um, gives you access to your private and your internal symbols. If you, if you uh, import your pro, in your um, test module underneath your test project, uh, underneath your project, you have your test project. And in your test project, when you have a test file, you import, and you don't just import your project, you do it at testable import project, and that exposes the private and the uh, internals. Interesting. I, I I wasn't aware that gave access to to private level uh, as well. I, At least I great. believe it does. I hope so, or I've made a large mistake on today's episode. <laughs> <laughs> <Love> it. <laughs> and it wouldn't be the first time either. 
<laughs> Brian, I, I really want to thank you for everything that you've said on Fastlane. It's it's one of these tools that the people who use it know how much it can do, and the people who stumble upon it suddenly become disciples of the tool. It's uh, it was originally there. I, I think Sai is the best example. It was it was originally a tool to help with that which drove us all nuts, and it has become. An amazing um, library that continues to expand. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure being on the show. And, and I'll just say in closing that it's it's easy to be put off by Fastlane and think, oh, it's going to be too big a learning curve. But the best way I know of to get involved is just ask yourself, like, what are the one or two biggest things it could do for you? Try it out on those and you're more than likely going to find, you know what, I can now grow this out a little bit more, a little bit more until it fits, you know, exactly what your own workflow is. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Alex, thank you for your participation, as always, during the show. Our upcoming shows, we have a RayWenderlich.com talk with Ivana Puig doing MVVM structure with Android architecture components. And that's going to run later on the day of this released episode. Our next episode, Vijay Sharma is going to be on, again, continuing with that same topic, Android app architecture, and that'll release out on the 1st of July. We don't want you to forget that we will be having WWDC virtual, uh, assuming that any keynote information is released uh, that evening. I believe Monday the 22nd is the day it's supposed to start. We will have some of uh, the RayWendelik.com iOS experts on to talk about what was announced and how we felt about it. Obviously, for those of you listening to the podcast, we invite you to look for this episode in a few weeks on YouTube. The video version will contain information we left on the cutting room floor. Hopefully not our mistakes. Hopefully not the things we said we should cut this out. Uh, And a more casual after show, which we'll be getting started shortly with our guest. We hope you'll check that out. But in the meantime, for the podcast version of the episode, we head back to the Emerald Castle. Ray, back to you. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the RayWendelich.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time.